you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, well, actually, go to Acts chapter 12 first. <clears throat> Acts chapter 12, uh, put a, a marker, a, a, a something there, and then we're going to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, but we're going to spend the majority of our time in Acts chapter 12. So while you're doing that, turning to those two passages, uh, we have with us uh, uh, some special guests, uh, at least I think they are, um, uh, very, uh, very special. Uh, <clears throat> uh, you need to be praying for these two families. Uh, we have the, the Gleiser family and the Tilson family with us. Um, they have moved here. Well, they haven't moved to Fernley. They've moved to the Reno area and in, in preparation to starting a, a, a new church. And I, I say you're special because I think you have to have a little mental issue uh, going on. Um, <laughs> yes, I know that hurts. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be something wrong with you to move here and start a church. Anyway, seriously speaking, um, uh, Brother Tilson, will you please stand up and introduce your family? <clears throat> All right. Thank you for being here. And then, uh, Brother Brother Gleiser, if you'd do the same. All right, and uh, again, thank you guys for being here. Uh, but more importantly, thank you for being here. Um, if there's ever a place in our country that needs more churches, it's, it's northern Nevada. And uh, we're very, very thankful that you're here. Uh, my wife and I have been praying for, for uh, you guys, uh, all of you, uh, for quite some time now. And uh, we trust that the Lord's going to use you in a great way. Thank you. <clears throat> First Thessalonians chapter five. We've been looking at. <clears throat> uh, well, we've been we've been covering. Uh, we've been doing a series on the book of First Thessalonians uh, for uh, several weeks, uh, probably close to several months. Um, we've been preaching through the the book of First Thessalonians, but we are in chapter five now, which is the last chapter. And that we're at the end of the last chapter, uh, and what we are called, what I am calling, the commandments to the New Testament church. At the end of First Thessalonians chapter five, the Apostle Paul gives us 22 commandments at the very end, in in just in rapid succession, uh, not like the Ten Commandments that Moses gave, where they're all drawn out. These are just just 22 very rapid commandments that we are supposed to incorporate into our lives as as believers. <clears throat> I want to remind you at the beginning of this study we we talked about the the every commandment in scripture boils down to one of two things. It is either to love God or love men. Every one of the commandments will boil down to those two things. We need to either love God more or love men more. And we, we talked about this, which is easier to do, love God or love men? That's a trick question, by the way. 
<laughs> on the surface, we will say it's easier to love God than it is to love men because we have to put up with each other. But in reality, they're both just as difficult. And that is why, that is why throughout Scripture, we are commanded multiple times, not just suggestions, but we are commanded to do certain things because it goes against our nature to love God and it goes against our nature to love men. Does it not? <clears throat> so these are the, the 12 that we have looked at so far, uh, the 12 of the 22 commandments. Uh, to uh, be an encourager, be a builder, be aware, be a safeguard, be at peace, be a mentor, be compassionate, be strong, be patient, be a healer, be a pursuer. And then last week we talked about being joyful. Rejoice evermore was last week's. Uh, hopefully you tuned in on, on Facebook. We broadcasted from home last week because uh, my wife was sick. Uh, oh, and by the way, I want to thank all of you that have been praying for Melanie. Uh, she's feeling great, um, uh, and uh, we appreciate your prayers. Uh, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, let's look at verse 17 for commandment number 13. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, this verse has been a verse that has been quoted throughout the centuries. But Lord, do we truly know what it means to pray without ceasing? Uh, it, it is a command for each of us. And Lord, we just ask that as we look at this idea of praying this morning, that you would speak to our hearts because each and every one of us could do a better job in our prayer lives. Help us, dear God, to be more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I, can't, I cannot overemphasize that enough. The longer I'm a pastor, the more I see and the more I realize how much we need prayer in our lives. I, I, cannot over, I just cannot overemphasize that. I was very careful. Uh, oh, did I give you the point number 13? Okay. Uh, it is be equipped. Be equipped. <clears throat> I, I, I was very careful when selecting the title uh, of, of commandment number 13, be equipped. Um, because a person of prayer, it doesn't just happen. It is something that you have to be equipped to do. You know, oftentimes we have a misunderstanding of what prayer is in our lives. And, we're, and while I, I, okay, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. So let me, let me read you a quote I think uh, helps uh, sum up uh, a, the definition of the, the need of prayer today. E.M. Bounds wrote this What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, uh, not new organization or more novel methods, but men holy, excuse me, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. 
See, we live in a society today that says that, that churches today, and Grace Baptist Church is as guilty as any church. And, and what, what, what I mean by that is this. Oftentimes what we say is, you know what, we need more programs. We need to do this. We need to do that. And instead, we just need to get down and get face-to-face with God and find out what God wants us to do. We get so consumed with the thinking that we need more stuff, more programs, more this, more that. And in reality, God is saying, no, I just want you to talk to me more. And, 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 and as a church, we are guilty of that, as, as I believe every church is. But the sad part is, I am guilty of that in my own personal life as well. I, get, I, I, I swallow the lie oftentimes that Satan wants to feed me that, oh, I, just, I need to do this more, I need to do that more. And, and I get so busy in my life, I forget to pray. Or I, or I pray, but I don't spend the, the, the diligent time that I need to pray. We're all guilty of it. What happens when we are flooded with thoughts of worry, fear, discouragement, anger? And, and, and I could continue on with adjectives. But, but what happens when we are flooded with worry and fear, and, and in the midst of all that's going on in our world today, is, do we have enough fear and discouragement in our lives right now? If, if you don't have enough fear and discouragement in your life, turn on the news for about 10 minutes. It'll take care of the problem. But what do we do? See, the, the reality is when fear, discouragement, worry, anger, all of these things come flooding into our lives, we should be consciously and quickly turning every thought to prayer. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. When these things come flooding in, and they will come flooding in, what is your first reaction? Is it to react or is it to pray? See, most of us, what is our first reaction? Our first reaction is to, to react. And God says, no, you don't react. Your job is to pray and let me react. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says, be careful for nothing. Or, or, or another word we could use there is worry about nothing. We have no business worrying. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. See, when, when we don't worry about things and give it to God, then we can have a peace that the world does not understand. Paul commanded us to be anxious for nothing. To be anxious for nothing. He taught the believers at Colossae to devote themselves to prayer. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. 
continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. He exhorted the of the Ephesian believers to use prayer as a spiritual weapon, if you would. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 to 18, it says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Prayer. What does your prayer life look like? Prayer should be our first response to everything, every situation, every fearful situation, every source of anxiety. It should be our first response, not our last response. Unfortunately, what happens in many of our lives, we, we keep prayer in, in the back, and, and it's, the, it's the last line of defense in our lives, when in reality it should be the very first line of defense. The lack of prayer will cause us to depend on self instead of God. Mary, Queen of Scots, once said, I fear John Knox's prayers more than an army of 10,000 men. We live in a world that is constantly changing, and, and it seems like it's changing faster now than it was even two or three years ago. But when we pray and we understand that God is in control, it changes everything. It's not me having to fight the change. It's not me having to do anything. It's God doing His work in my life. When I thought of this idea of being equipped in my prayer life, I always think of Acts chapter 12. Turn, turn over to Acts chapter 12. <clears throat> to understand, because the Bible doesn't always distinguish between different people, you know, because a lot of names are the same. It's it's easy to, to get people mixed up. So here in Acts chapter 12, there's, we're, we're going to read about a guy named King Herod. King Herod that is mentioned in Acts chapter 12 is not the same King Herod that beheaded John the Baptist. So just, just so that you know that and kind of keep it straight, because it, it's, it's easy to get these guys mixed up. The guy who, who beheaded John the Baptist was King Harold the Great. And this is just King, uh, or uh, uh, yeah, just this is just King Harold. So anyway, so it was his grandson. So anyway, 
just so that you know, uh, let's read Acts chapter 12 and uh, start. Let's, let's start reading in verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quadrants of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in the prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And Herod would have brought him forth the same night Peter was asleep between two soldiers bound with chains and the keeper of the uh, and the keeper before the doors uh, kept the prison. So here we see an interesting situation. We see a man named Peter who, because of his faith, is getting ready to be executed the next day. And Herod, King Herod, turns him over to four quadrants of soldiers. A quadrant of soldiers is 16. So you times that times four, that's 64 soldiers to watch one man. I just find that a little interesting that it took 64 soldiers to guard one guy. I don't know, but it, it almost gives the appearance that they were fearful of what Peter could do. Point A this morning for our message. God meets, God will meet you where you, uh, I can't even read. God will meet you in your dwelling place. I wrote it and I can't even read it. That's pretty bad, huh, Jason? God will meet you in your dwelling place. Look at verse 4. And when they had apprehended him, he put him in the prison. So where is he? He's in prison. He is, he is in prison. Now, I, I'm here to tell you this. <clears throat> God will meet you in the palace, and he'll meet you in the prison. God will meet you where you are. But let's look at verse 7, because verse 7 here, is, it, 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 there, there's an, an interesting word change that takes place in verse 7. And behold, the angel of the Lord came unto him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side, and raised him up, and said, Arise quickly, and the chains fell off from his hands. Now, the word prison in verse 4, <clears throat> the Greek word for the word prison in verse, in verse 4 simply means prison. The Greek word translated into English in verse 7, the word prison, is a different Greek word. <clears throat> it literally means living quarters or 
dwelling place. Think about this. Where was Peter? Where where was Peter's dwelling place? It was in the prison. But God is very, very clearly here helping us understand that no matter where we are, God is there. And he will meet us at our dwelling place. Wherever that happens to be, God will be there. Now for Peter, it happened to be in the prison. God made himself known to Peter by an angel. We see it here in, in, verse, in verse 7. No matter where you are dwelling, no matter where you are in your life, God is there. Think about this for a second. How important is that? I don't know about you, but to me it's huge. Because there have been times in my life where I have not been where I probably should have been in my life. But God is always in my dwelling place. I always have access to God. Letter A. God will meet you at your dwelling place. Letter B. Let's look at verse 5. We will see that they prayed for God's protection. And this is, this is really important. They prayed for God's protection. Let's look at verse 5. And Peter, therefore, was kept in the prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now, I want to draw your attention to two words. <clears throat> without ceasing. Without ceasing. Now, were, are we not commanded in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 to pray without ceasing? Is that not what we talked about just a minute ago? Okay? <clears throat> we are to pray without ceasing. Here in Acts chapter 12, again, it's the same English, English words, but the Greek words are different. The Greek word here in Acts chapter 12 is the, uh, let me see if I can get this right. <clears throat> um, I thought I wrote it down. Okay. I didn't write it down. I'm sorry. Um, it, the Greek word without ceasing here is different. It is a medical term that literally means to stretch a muscle to its maximum capacity. That's what, that's what this word here means. So <clears throat> the believers, as they were praying for Peter, they were praying in such a way that an athlete would stretch the muscle to the maximum capacity. Let me, let me help illustrate it this way. That Greek word is only used two times in Scripture. The other time that it's used... <clears throat> is in Luke chapter 22, verse 44. It says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. The same Greek word translated here earnestly is the same Greek word that's translated uh, without ceasing here. So how is Jesus praying here? He's praying. He's stretching that muscle to its maximum. 
And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. So what is the picture here? Jesus is praying for you and for me. And he is praying so hard that his sweat is as drops of blood. That is how Jesus was praying. That muscle is being stretched to its absolute max. That muscle, that that medical term, that this is, had Jesus prayed any harder, it would have killed him. Now, let's go back to Acts chapter 12. God describes the prayers of the believers praying for Peter the exact same way that Jesus Christ prayed for you and for me. That, my friend, is a passionate prayer. My question is, what does your prayer life look like? Do you pray earnestly? Do you pray without ceasing? Jesus had strained his body to the point of almost breaking, and his blood or his sweat turned to blood. What an incredible picture of how we are supposed to pray. Have you ever prayed to the point? Hey, hey, no, let me let me let me change this. Have you ever gotten to the point in your in your life where that is how you prayed? You were just empty of self. And 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 oftentimes those kind of prayers are, are, are actually wordless prayers. Or if, if there are words, it's God help me. That is how God wants us to pray. The church prayed earnestly for Peter to be released. They prayed night and day understanding that the very next morning uh, Herod the king was going to behead Peter. They prayed earnestly for God to protect him. And we come to letter C of our story. They prayed and God answered. They prayed and God answered. So let's look at verse 7. And behold, the the angel of the Lord came unto him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands, and the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and uh, bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and whence not that it was true 
which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came out <clears throat> unto the iron gates that leadeth to the city, which opened to them, and they uh, and opened to them of his own accord, and they went out and passed on through this one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel, and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate from, uh, for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. And she con uh, con <laughs> constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then uh, said they, It is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he beckoned unto them with his hand, uh, holding their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of prison and said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went unto another place. Here we see a, an, an interesting story. They prayed, they prayed earnestly. God answered the prayer. And now I, I don't know about you, but... I love to hear about answered prayer. That's one of the reasons, those of you that are familiar with Grace Baptist Church, on Sunday night we have time of testimony. We sit around for a few minutes letting people tell what God's doing in their lives, and it's always an encouragement to me. It's always, number one, I love it because I love hearing what God is doing in the lives of other people. It is always a great encouragement to me. But it is also an encouragement to, for me to pray more. Once Peter was safe and away and the, the, the angel leaves him and Peter realizes what's going on, Peter, the Bible says that he comes to himself and he, and he probably realizes, hey, this isn't a dream. I'm really free. He probably was pinching himself. You know how people do that? You know, and and he's <clears throat> and he and he goes to the house to he knows the people are going to be praying and he goes there and Rhoda I love Rhoda this story of Rhoda she she Peter's knocking on the door she she probably opens the little thing looks through the people and says hey that's Peter she got so excited she left him standing there I love that but then they go she goes in and tells hey Peter's standing at the door and they said oh no 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 you must be seeing a ghost. We're, we're praying for Peter's in prison. We're praying that he gets let go. 
Now, now let, let me stop right here. How many of you, along with me, are guilty of praying a prayer, a specific prayer, and then when God answers the prayer, you think to yourself, whoa, I didn't think he was going to do that. I'm guilty of that. Or, or you get so excited and you want to tell everybody what God did. When in reality, we should say, oh, okay, God answered that prayer. Why? Doesn't it show just a little bit of lack of faith? Here they are praying that Peter gets let loose. And Rhoda comes and says, hey, Peter's at the door. And they're like, no, no, that can't be. He's still in prison. We're praying that he gets let go. You see the, the, the problem? We, we tend naturally to have a hard time when God does something great in our lives. The people were inside, thought she was crazy. Thought she was seeing a ghost, but Peter kept knocking. The people were totally amazed when they come and they see they see Peter. I love this story. It is a it is a story that it, it's just it's just one of the stories that I just love to. It, it it has it is always encouraging to me. But there's one thing about this story that every time I read it, I am just absolutely astounded by. And it's it's not the story of Rhoda. It's not the it's not the uh, uh, the the people that were praying earnestly. Uh, that that uh, although th- those are important things. There's one aspect of this story that to me says a lot about the character of Peter. Where, where was Peter? He was in prison. What was Peter doing in prison when, when this story takes place? He was, he was sleeping, chained between two prison guards being guarded by 64 soldiers, chained to two of them. He has no hope. But what is he doing? He's sleeping. He is sleeping so soundly. What does the angel have to do to wake him up? Look at verse 7. And behold, the angel of the Lord came unto him, and the light shone, shined in the prison. Now, how many of you automatically wake up when the light comes on? Okay, many of you. Now, me, I don't. I sleep through everything, okay? But, but <clears throat> when I was a teenager, thanks, Mom, I still have scars from this. <clears throat> My mom, in the morning, to get me up, would come in. She would turn on the light. And back then, it would wake me up. It doesn't anymore, but it, maybe, it, maybe it's because of all the scars of being a teenager. 
<clears throat> but she would come in and turn the light off, and the only way I could get back to sleep would be get up out of bed, turn the light off, then I would jump back into bed. And then she'd come back in, turn the light on, and it's a game we played. <clears throat> the light didn't wake up Peter. And behold, the angel of the Lord came unto him, and the light, uh, the light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side, and he raised him, and he raised him up. What happened? The angel comes into the room, this, this bright light happens to go off, and Peter is still sleeping. Now, we don't know, but I, I have a wonderful active imagination. So I just envision this angel walking over to Peter and just kicking him right in the side, saying, wake up, stupid. I don't know if that's what happened, but that's what I see, okay? My last point this morning, the incredible confidence of Peter. The incredible confidence of Peter. The most amazing part of the story is not how the people were praying, although that is incredibly important. It is not the fact that God answered prayer, even though that's incredibly important. But Peter, knowing that the first thing in the morning he was going to be beheaded, he was able to lay down chained to two prisoners, surrounded by 64 other prisoners, or, or guards, excuse me, soldiers. And he was able to pillow his head and get a good night's sleep. What happens when fear, anxiety, depression come into our lives? Do we have the confidence and an almighty God that he is going to be able to meet me at my dwelling place and that he is going to be able to answer not only my prayers but the prayers of my friends who are praying for me, am I going to have the kind of confidence that I can pillow my head and say, okay, God's got this? To me, the most impressive part of this story is the life of Peter. Peter was not laying there fretting, oh, what is going to happen to me in the morning? Uh, what, what, is it, what is the guillotine going to feel like? And all of these things that would be natural to worry about. He didn't worry about one of them. Being chained to two guards, surrounded by 64 soldiers, he was able to lay down on a cold prison floor and get a good night's sleep. Peter was a man who practiced what he preached. In 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 7, Peter says this, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Peter understood firsthand 
what it mean, what it meant to cast all your care upon upon the Lord. See, when when we are equipped in prayer, and prayer is such a precious, precious part of our lives. We can pillow our head in the middle of a catastrophe and get a good night's sleep. I don't know what's going on in in a lot of your lives this morning. I have no idea. I don't know what the circumstances are, what the trials, the struggles, the burdens that you're carrying. But I can tell you this. If you will spend time with God in prayer, when anxiety, stress, anger, bitterness, whatever, you can fill in the blank. When all those things come flooding into your life, we need to be equipped to handle those things. How do we, how, how do we become equipped to do that? We, we, we understand that God will meet us at our dwelling place that God answers prayer and that we can have the confidence that God is in control. Did, did, when Peter laid down that night to go to sleep, did he know that God was going to send an angel to bring him out of the prison? Absolutely not. For, for all intents and purposes, when Peter laid down his head that night, he was thinking that in the morning... He was going to be beheaded. But yet he, he, he had a good night's sleep. See, we don't always know what tomorrow holds. But we can know that God is in control. And that confidence comes when we are people of prayer. Pray without ceasing. We should consciously and quickly turn those thoughts into prayers. Because when we do, fear will flee, anxiety will diminish, and God will take over in our lives. What does your prayer life look like? You say, I, and and, and this, is, this is something that I get often from people. But pastor, I don't know how to pray. I, I, I don't know how to pray. Well, let, let me help you with that. It, it's, it's really, really, really pretty simple. Just talk to God. That's prayer. There's no, there's no formula. There's no special language. There's no uh, technique, if you would. You just get alone with God and talk to Him like you would your best friend. That's how you pray. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your love and for the work that You do in our lives. And Lord, as we look at this very important subject of prayer in our lives, 
I ask, dear God, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, and that you would that you would strengthen us, and that you would help us to be more like you. Lord, you know, you know our hearts. And you know the fact that every one of us in this room this morning struggles. We all face fear and anxiety and difficulties every day. But Lord, as we are prepared in our lives, we should be people who immediately turn to prayer instead of fear and anxiety. Help us, dear God. Help us, dear God, to walk with you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you, do you know Christ this morning? Have you you asked Christ into your heart to save you? If not, I want to pray for you. I won't call out your name and embarrass you in any way, I promise, but I, I do want to pray for you. Is there anybody who say, Pastor, would you pray for me that I might know Christ? If that's you, just lift your hand. I'll see it and I'll pray for you, I promise. Amen. Anybody else? Very quickly. Okay, Christian, what's your prayer life look like? If you're like me, and I'm just being transparent, if you're like me, your prayer life needs help. Is there anybody to say, Pastor, God has spoken to my heart this morning about my prayer life, maybe about something else. I have no idea. Would you pray for me as well? If that's you, amen. Anybody else just say, Pastor, would you pray for me too? Amen. Lord, we love you. And we thank you so much for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. I ask, dear God, that you would speak to our hearts, you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us, that you would help us in our prayer lives, in actually every area of our lives, that we would be more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.